You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. And as you know, the, we are on podcast in iTunes, and uh, Randy and now Luis has been helping out a lot with the website and podcasting and all of that, so... Uh, share it with others. You know, refer to. It's kind of you know, I don't I don't like the idea of other people you like, you know, sharing. Hey, listen to my pastor speak. Oh, really? Um, so I'm not too uh, fond of that idea. But you know, do share, do listen to it, and do share it to others. Do hey, check this out and listen to it. Um, and that's it's one way that we reach out to others. Yeah. Okay. So we're all looking at uh, Luke chapter 16. Let me go ahead and have you. Ask you to pick this up. Luke chapter 16. Remember that chapter 15 and chapter 16 has been where Jesus is speaking to people in one sitting. Um, it may not necessarily be written all together, and it may not have been just Jesus really doing it at the same time. But Luke, the writer of the gospel, has put it together so that we receive it and understand as Jesus sitting with his gathered people and speaking in one occasion. So this is all coming together, two chapters coming together. So what we need to do as readers of this gospel 2,000 years later is understand who he was speaking to and what he meant to uh, teach us through this text and uh, what it was like when you actually, when people actually heard Jesus speak. But it's a one, sort of one lecture, one talk. Uh, so we need to uh, understand and preach that way. Um, so we're going to look at the end of uh, chapter 16, verse 10, verse 13 through 31. But remember, we need to look at it as a whole. So we kind of look at the text today, but also kind of step back and, and zoom out and look at the whole of chapter 15 and 16 together to understand what it really means. So let's go ahead and um, read. It's uh, verse 13. Uh, to 31. I'll read one verse and you can uh, read the next. No slave can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So he said to them, You are those who justify yourself in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were in effect until John came. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed, and everyone tries to enter it by force. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of letter and the law to be dropped. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Remember, there is a woman There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and in fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. Who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table, even though dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Such a Lazarus is with you, and took his 
But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like, in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house. Abraham replied, But they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has been passed on for us to receive it. And thank you that you open up our hearts to receive it. Pray that you give us understanding, that our hearts will be humble, and that our minds will understand, so that we will be uh, open um, for your spirit to come and uh, mold us in your own image. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Strong. Strong. The words and story of hell. Anything else? Is it understand? Is it fairly easy to understand? What stands out to you? Why did Lazarus have dogs that were making his sores? What does that mean? I mean, if you're hurt in general, dogs usually come up and lick it. Yeah. Because I always see a statue. My mom has a statue of Lazarus and dogs on the side with his cane. There's a statue of Lazarus? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. With his cane standing up and he has sores and then he has like two dogs on the side. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Keep that in mind. (laughs) Okay. What else? There really is hell. Yeah, it's not the first time. So let's let's go ahead and work this. But what I want to do is actually work backward. So we're going to work from the parable and back up. And we're going to kind of zoom out and look at the whole of chapter 15 and 16. And that will really give us clear understanding of what it means. Remember I talked yesterday. Contextual understanding is key to understand what the writer of the Bible is trying to teach us and guide us. So we have to zoom out. We have to look what it means overall. Right? So... What we're going to do is we're going to look at it, but we're going to first tackle away what it's not saying. Because many times you, you're presented with a scripture and you are distracted. A lot of people are distracted of other things. And you are distracted to the questions to little things that are part of the story, but it's not really the point of the story. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to get rid of distractions. So look at this story of the parable of Lazarus and rich men. Uh, many of you have, have heard or read this story, and it's really a simple story, right? There was a rich man, and there was a poor. The poor guy's name is Lazarus, which you need to understand, this is the only parable that Jesus has spoken that actually gives a name. There's no one's name. He doesn't mention anyone's name in any of his parables, but this is the only one. So there's a guy named Lazarus. He's poor. He's, you know, hurt. He's got sores all over. He stands in front of this rich man's house, and the way really the, the culture is in, in this culture at Jesus' time is houses are kind of open. Like doors are open. It's not like closed door. You can't really see what's going on. It's open. 
So he sits outside at the gate. He can see everything that's going on in the house. You see it in Jesus' story that someone just walks in, right? Someone just walks in or they bring someone in just in any parts. You can just walk in, right? So it's kind of open setting. So he sees what's going on and he says the rich man is dressed in what? Fine linen. Fine linen. Purple. Purple is the priciest, it's the most expensive linen color to, to make. So what this is saying is this man was rich. And he feasted sumptuously every day. Yeah. Every day he was having a party. Right? I mean, that's pretty rich. And some of you, all of us know some people who are really rich, right? Whether in Pacific Heights or you know, down in South and the houses some of us have been to, the huge houses that they have. This man's rich. And he eats all the time. He feasts all the time. So, Lazarus sees the man through the gate uh, having all this. He wishes for one thing. What does he wish for? That I could just eat whatever falls off his table. So, and that's obviously not going to fill his stomach, but that's what he longs for, and he's got sores all over, and dogs come over and lick him. And dogs is, in comparison, what dogs can, you can compare dogs to pigs in Israel. So, dogs are meant as enemies. So, they, this, this means that he was accompanied and cared for by who are the enemies, who are considered unclean. Right? So, in the Old Testament, you read, like, this king was left dead and dogs came and ate him. That means this was the worst uh, ending, worst death that this king or this person could possibly have. So, the dogs came and licked him. And the uh, story was pretty quick. He dies, and rich man dies. Richmond probably had like really, really nice funeral. Have you guys ever been to cemetery and see the differences of people with money, people without money? You know, my grandmas, uh, my grandparents, and you know, they're, they got just, you know, that. And there are houses with just structures, right? Just the family structures and all the you know, columns and all the whole thing going on. And that's probably what this rich man's funeral was. It was, it was, it was an awesome funeral. A lot of people came. Lots of money spent. And Lazarus probably didn't even have funeral. Right? He was just carried out. He was thrown out. Right? So, they die and they go in heaven and hell. And rich man ends up where? Hell. And uh, Lazarus ends up in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man looks up and says, Hey, um, Father Abraham. Because he is a Jew, and Jew considers Abraham as their father. This is my lineage. I have specific class, and I can call you as my father because that's, this is what my heritage was, this is what my class was, this is what my family was like. Father Abraham, come and send Lazarus to help me. And you got to kind of look at that. What? The, you know, there's a reversal of a fortune, right? The rich man goes to hell, and the poor... The bum goes to heaven, and rich man still considers himself as rich, class. Hey, Father Abraham, send that little guy over to uh, bring me some water. Lazarus, has not, he has not changed, even in hell. You remember that. He has not changed, even in hell. And he still calls, and he still wants Lazarus to come and serve him. And he still thinks of himself as deserving to be careful, deserving to have a class. And Father Abraham says, no, right? Um, and there's like a chasm, there's, we, no one can go there, you can't come here, and that's not going to happen. And what does he do? He said, okay, fine, but 
Here's one last bit, my desperate request. And what's his request? Again, send who? Send the boy. Send Lazarus to where? To my father's house, because I got five brothers. They need to know what would happen if they live the lifestyle that that they're living, right? Send Lazarus. And Abraham says, well, that's not going to do anything. They have Moses and they have prophets. They have a Bible. They have your law and prophets and books and all of that. So, well, but if someone comes back from dead, they might believe it. They'll believe it. And Jesus says, if they don't listen to Moses and prophets, even if someone rose from the dead, tell them the chick, right? They're not going to believe it. Right? So that's the story. So when you listen to the story on appearances... Uh, it seems like what the story is saying is that rich go to hell. If you're wealthy, you go to hell. And if you're poor, you go to heaven. Which is false. Bible talks not about wealth and money, but about how people hold on to the money and how they spend the money, how they use the money or use people for the money, right? So that's not right. Um, but that's what it looks like in appearances. If you haven't had a lot in this lifetime, you have a lot in heaven. If you had a lot this lifetime, that when you get to, when you die, you're not going to have anything. You're going to suffer. So that's not it. Um, or another way to look at it is you can you read the story and you say, oh, you don't have the poor. If you're not kind to the poor, if you don't help the needy, then you're going to go to hell. Is that true? Is that true? If you don't help the poor, you're going to go to hell. It's not entirely true, right? I mean, you should, but that's not what the story is telling. Another part that we look at it is, apparently we're getting a glimpse of what heaven and hell looks like. And uh, supposedly, the what we're thinking, imagine, right? Use your best visual image, and there's a hell, and there's like a big glass window, and there's heaven, and you're like looking down in hell, and hell, in you know, in hell, you're like looking up, and there's a heaven nice old cloudy and there's you know Abraham and you're leaning on Abraham's arms and bosoms and you're kind of sleepy and you're relaxed and so that's kind of the image we get of heaven and hell and um, but that's not what it's about either and it's not like you're going to go to heaven and just sleep you know kind of you know food uh, coma in a food coma because you ate so well and you just kind of relaxed that's not really heaven what heavens are all about so, we get a glimpse of it, and we can get stuck at it, and say, oh, look, according to this scripture, this is what heaven and hell is supposed to look like, right? But, this is not true. So, the parable is not about the rich and the poor, and what happens just because you're rich and just because you're poor. It's not about social justice. And people like to use this, hey, see, you're supposed to help the poor. Yes, you are supposed to help the poor, obviously, but that's not what this parable is strictly about. Right? Someone, um, there's a, a letter that goes out to the churches and pastors. It's called The Bridge from the Northern California District of the Church of Nazarene. And uh, the district superintendent, his name is John Calhoun, and he wrote in this month's uh, quarter's bridge that there's, when there's, and actually he said something about serving poor and uh, how that shouldn't be the priority of who we are and what we do. And I agree with that. When we put too much priority and emphasis on compassionate work and serving, then we misplace salvation out of its center. Right? So this story can be an encouraging that we help the poor, but it cannot be 
the center of who we are, the center of what we are about and what we are after, and how we're serving God. Right? The salvation is the center of it all. So this story, the parable, isn't really entirely about social justice. It's not about heaven and hell and kind of giving away the details and image of heaven and hell. What we read here is a very common belief in the first century in Israel, in Jewish thoughts about what hell and heaven is supposed to be. It's their culture, it's their thoughts, it's their reflection, and it's what they know of as heaven and hell from Old Testament in their culture. So what we're getting is a glimpse of that. So when people heard Jesus talk about, share this story, they knew what he was talking about. They, oh, yeah, heaven, hell, fire, flame, suffering, tormenting, you know, Abraham in heaven and Abraham's bosom and all of that. Oh, we know, we know this story. And at least there are seven other rabbinic, uh, rabbinic stories that the priests of Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, congregation shared that talks about what a heaven and hell is supposed to be. Jesus doesn't entirely follow the storyline. His story is different in a way that rich goes to hell and poor goes to heaven. But it's a common story they receive. Which, what don't you get it? Yeah, just listen on. Um, so, what they're hearing about the heaven and hell is very common, except the ending. So, let's go ahead and touch on what heaven and hell is all about. Let's actually, let's just touch on hell. What is hell? Because you hear, you know, this is a, what we hear, there's a big, this is the probably the best visual that we get, the whole story saying about hell. So, what do we need to know about the hell? What are your questions about hell? You have a lot of questions. Uh, I recently got this book. Uh, it's a work by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. It's actually a pretty good book. It doesn't go really in theological detail about heaven and hell. I mean, about hell and all of that. But it's actually a pretty simple book. You can read within like an hour. Um, that has a really general idea and understanding or correcting the misunderstanding about hell. And there are a lot of misunderstandings about hell. So, let's cover four things. I want to cover four things about hell. And you have it on your sermon note. First, what is, what's it like? What's a hell like? Right? But first, we need to understand that, yes, hell exists. It's there. And Jesus is the one who talked most about hell than anyone else in the Bible. They say about uh, 30% of Jesus' talk was about judgment. 40% of Jesus' talk was about judgment and hell. So Jesus talked a lot about hell. So it exists, right? So what we have is, what we read in the gospel is a view of hell in the Jewish culture, like I said. And one of the ways that hell was mentioned is, it's like a Gehenna. A Gehenna is like a garbage, it's like dumping site. But not only is it a dumping site, it's where people take out dirty stuff, unclean stuff, but it's also where child, kids are sacrificed and really evil things are done and the suffering is done. It's just outside the gate in uh, of uh, Jerusalem and it's called Gehenna. And it's mentioned that hell is like Gehenna. So there's different ways for us to understand hell and that's mentioned in, um, in the Bible. And what we find is Jesus sort of speaks of what people understand hell in his time, which means Jesus agrees, and he has to, right? Jesus agrees and how the hell is explained 
uh, in the Old Testament and how the, the Jewish people understand. But the important thing is hell is there. Right? Hell is there. We don't know what it's like. Exactly. But there's one thing that we know for sure when we read and when we understand hell is it's a, it's a place that needs to be avoided at all costs. Right? Is that one thing that's clear? We don't know if there's a fire. We don't know if there's what kind of suffering there might be or if it's in, in the middle of the earth or if it's in somewhere in other places. We don't know. Right? But we know for sure from reading the words in the Bible that hell is what? Whatever it is, it's a place, lake of fire, whatever it is, it's a place to avoid at all costs. That's what they're telling me. Look, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be tormenting, it's going to be awful. You want to avoid this place at all costs. So, I think what hell speaks of is, you think of hell and how terrible it is, then you get to understand the seriousness of sin. Our sin leads us to hell. That's how serious hell sin is to God. And when we understand that, we see the holiness of God. And how He's holy and how He cannot be with sin. And how serious sin is in comparison in light of God's holiness. Hell exists. It's there. Right? It's there. Number two question is, do I get a second chance? Uh, it's one of the, I've listed four of the most common questions that uh, people have. Do I get a second chance? What do you think? No. The simple answer is no. But there are lots of other thoughts that people believe in. Like the, uh, there is the idea and understanding of a purgatory, that Catholics believe in purgatory, but purgatory doesn't exist. It says that what hell is, it's a decisive at the point of death, you decided in judgment. There is a, you don't get like seven years or whatever years that you stay in certain place and then you do better and then you get second chance to go into heaven. There is no second chance. Um, so, and there also isn't uh, where some of the uh, naturalists <coughs> believe that, oh, you'll be in hell for a little bit and then your soul will just disappear after a certain amount of the suffering that you deserve. You disappear. You just cease to exist. It's not there. There's no later saving. There's no disappearing from it. It's there and there you don't get a second chance. So that leads us to our third question. How long does it last? How long is, does the hell last? Eternal. It's eternal. There's no end to it. There's no... You escaping from it, there's no second chance, it's eternal. It's decided at judgment, at the point of your death, and it's decided. And it's eternal. Lastly, question that everybody wants to know is, that's the question a lot of people has in mind. Doesn't everyone go to heaven? Have you heard that question? Someone asked? What are the, some of the questions that's related to that? And one of the, you know, the religions that we see like a lot in San Francisco, universalists, they believe that what? All religions lead to heaven. All religions, religion leads to God and leads to heaven. Like God is loving and in the end that everyone will go to heaven, right? Some of the questions you hear from people are like, if God is all loving, then why does God send people to hell? Right? There are these questions. So, does everyone go to, does, does everyone go to heaven? 
What do you think? What do you think? How about babies? How about those people in villages that never heard of Jesus? What happens to them? Hmm? They go to heaven? People, people have, I, people ask questions like this, right? Like, huh, what happens to them? Right? What happens to them? Because babies are God's gifts. What would happen to them? But what do we know? That who goes to heaven? There's a decisive turn where you. Well, let's put it this way: Why did Jesus come? To save us. To save us, right? So, what gets in us into heaven? Jesus. Jesus. So, there needs to be understanding that if you don't believe in Jesus, what happens to you? You go to hell. And um, and you want to hear that people saying that, or at least pastors saying that out loud in the church. They say, well, you know, we hope that everyone goes to heaven and all of that. But let me be clear, and we need to be clear at this. If you do not believe in Jesus, because He's the only way, you go to hell. People go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. It's a decisive. So, we talk about it. Well, what about this? What about that situation? And there's a lot of questions we can ask, and, uh, and a lot of questions won't have answers for us. But what's important is when you're trying to ask questions about heaven and hell, who goes there and who doesn't go there, really the important question is, what about you? What are you going to do? Are you going, do you believe in Jesus? Are you going to heaven? And the question is, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? When you're talking about other people, what about this person? He's really nice and, you know, that person and babies and, you know, people who've never heard of Jesus and all of that. And really the better question is, well, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do for them? Are you going to go reach out and share them so that they know Jesus? Or are you just going to ponder? And that's really what we are called to do. As we receive Jesus, the mission that God has called us is to go out and share the gospel. To share the gospel. Because if they don't know Jesus, and you know, my understanding is if people don't know Jesus, people actually think they know Jesus because especially in, in, the, in our society, America, there's a movie, Son of God, right? Passion. And you know, people really think that, oh, you know, I know Jesus. But you know, my belief is that they really don't know Jesus. Do you agree? I don't think they know Jesus. They've seen movies, they've heard, and but they they really don't know Jesus the way they should, the way that it's true, the way that it's it's shown in the Bible, the way that you know, that I know. That means don't assume people know Jesus and they have made decisions. Your friends, your family members, they don't. They don't know Jesus the way I know and the way you know that you have made the decision to follow Him. That's why we need to tell them. Especially the people that think they know, but they really don't know. If they're not following Jesus, because I believe that if people would know Jesus, truthfully, there's no way. Why would anybody say no to Jesus? And it comes to that, you know, it's, if they do say no, it's the heart issue. But they need to know first. And our job, our work, is to let them know the Jesus that we know. So, 
that's let's just cover that enough about hell. But there's a lot of stuff in it if you want to check it out, um, and we can talk more about it. But the parable presents us what hell is like. So we're gonna take that parable and we're gonna kind of zoom out. We're gonna move back and go ahead and look at the uh, passages, the, the our verses, our text. You zoom out and we'll start with previously right before the parable in verse eight eighteen. Jesus talks about what? He talks about divorce all of a sudden. Why is Jesus talking about divorce? And some people like to refer this text as, see, Jesus said, no, all divorces are terrible. I'm not going to get into that. There are other passages for us to get into that. Really, when Jesus says that divorce is, is, is wrong, um, is a sin, what he says is, divorce, the, the, uh, the, the reason that divorce is prohibited in the Old Testament, and the, the way that Jesus speaks is, divorce is, prohibition of divorce is there to protect the weak protect the woman from man or woman abusing it and leaving the needy woman or man and abusing it. That's what it's meant to be. This isn't a law that said, no, that's it, no final, there's no, you know, no issues, no reasons, it's just no. It's not. It's meant to protect others. So what we're going to see is that when Jesus mentions divorce here, in the entirety of the text, he's talking about Faithfulness. He's talking about self-centeredness. He's talking about how people are using divorce for their own benefits because, oh, there's a hotter chick. I want to marry that chick, but I can't have, I can't do that, so I'm going to find a way to divorce my wife so I can be married to a better person. Well, this better person has a family, has a better rich. If I'm married into that family, I'm going to be more rich. I'm going to be richer. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's why the reference of the, uh, the divorce. Okay, we move up to verse 16 and 18. And Jesus talks about law and the prophets. So we're getting a better glimpse of it as we move on. And Jesus, the reason that Jesus is talking about the law and the prophets is Jesus is referring to the Pharisees whom he's speaking to and whom he's been speaking from all of chapter 15 and 16 that there's a misunderstanding here. And here's a stand where Jesus, here's what Jesus, where Jesus stands when it comes to the law and the prophets, which is basically the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying to other people when it's about the law, he's saying that you misunderstand the Old Testament. So, and for all of us, especially, and we study the Old Testament a lot, the key for us in receiving the Bible as a whole is not to change, thinking that Jesus changed, that when the Jesus came, everything in the Old Testament changed. No, it didn't. Um, when Jesus came, we need to disregard Old Testament. We don't. You see Jesus embracing. He said nothing in the law and the prophets will change. What that means is we need to correctly understand the Old Testament. And because it's so hard, people are tend to just, oh, it's the Old Testament, it doesn't apply anymore. No. You just don't understand correctly. That's why you guys are you know, lucky that you get to study through Exodus and Joshua and you get to really understand it. And I'm sure that as you're studying it, you understand that Oh, it's really reflective of New Testament. Everything that we learn in Old Testament, we see the reflection of it in the New Testament, in Jesus. Right? So, Jesus saying is that he's not disregarding. He says, look, nothing's going to come away from the law. You just don't understand. You need to understand correctly. In verse 13, we go up, and he says, Jesus talks about money. So, it's about money. It's about serving either money or God. And as you can see, it says, Pharisees were rich. They were rich. They were lovers of money. And he says, they pretend like they're godly, but God knows their hearts. And it's really the heart issue. So, 
The way to understand this text, the key verse is verse 14. In the verse 14 it says, The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all this and they ridiculed them. They heard Jesus say, what did Jesus, what did they hear? What the, what the verse 14 is referencing is, end of verse 13, it says, you cannot serve God and what? Jesus said that and Pharisees started laughing at him, ridiculing him, said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know the law. And you can see, this is a key in the text today. There's a misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding from the Pharisees' side of what it means to love God. They're saying, from the old tradition, if you love God, if you obey God, what are you going to be? You're going to be rich. You're going to have everything you need. So they're saying, what? You can't serve rich, you know, God and wealth? No, they come together. They come together. They're combined. And they start ridiculing Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no. Law and prophets are true. What's happening is you don't understand. You misunderstand. Not only are you misunderstanding, you, in your appearances, you look like you're godly, but your heart is evil. You love money, not God. And let me tell you a story to widen your understanding about what this is going to be like. And he tells the story of parable. So this is about people who are religious. They pretend, they hide behind the false theology to meet their needs, meet their desires. But Jesus said it's a heart issue. Their heart is after money and possession and not God. So, that's what we're talking about. Religious people. And you we hear it, it sounds familiar, right? People who hide behind false religion. And you see that in news, you see that in people around you, like extremists, like Taliban's, they hide behind religion. Um, conservatives, they hide behind religions and false understanding of laws, right? Politicians, cult leaders, they create religion and they hide behind it. That's what people do. And sometimes... Christians, or so-called Christians, hide behind religion too. They have real issues, they have real problems, but pretend, in outside they say the verses, they pretend like they're holy, to hide their issues and their sin. People hide behind religion and false understanding of laws. And in, in doing that, they make following Jesus boring, and, you know, it's not fun, and it's, it's you know, dull, and also violent. What people understand, all religions are bad because they're violent. It creates wars in the world. And that's not true. All religions are boring because you're not supposed to go watch a movie, go dancing, go drinking, and all of that. That's not true. Right? It's not. And, you know, when I say that, I'm not saying that, I'm not giving you permission to, oh, go do whatever you want, have fun. But I'm saying it is that it's not one or the other. Um, there is a blessing and gift as well as there is a sacrifice right, within what we believe, for what we believe. And then there's a talk about, when we talk about money, there's people who don't really hide behind religion, but who become corrupted. And I think when you look at these Pharisees, I think some of them started out with really pure heart. They started out with pure heart, they loved God, and they wanted to follow the law. Um, they wanted to obey God, but something happened along the way. Maybe they got into a circle that showed money, and they wanted to have some more. Maybe they, they got into a circle that was recognized, so they wanted to be famous. And that's really sometimes the case. You know, sometimes pastors go wild. Like, pastors gone wild. 
Um, it does happen. And people get, pastors get corrupted. Religious people get corrupted. And you've seen this. Whether it's sex or money, people get corrupted. And really the biggest highlight of this recently is a Korean pastor. <laughs> a Korean pastor, not, not the, you know, no, the person, the pastor who pastors the biggest church in the world. Have you guys heard? His name's a, a Pastor Cho, and he pastors Yoido Full Gospel Church. It's the largest in the world. It has been. In 2007, its membership was 1 million people. Like Benny Hinn, all these big pastors? No, they're, and he's real. I mean, he was Christian. This was the biggest Protestant church in the world. And you go to Korea, you see the church. They have bags of money. They haul out trucks to haul out their offerings on Sundays. One million members of church. And he was most respected, he was most honored. But recently, last year, he got arrested for embezzlement of millions of dollars. Um, and all this happened in the wild because his son was embezzling church money and he you know, was trying to save him and then all of that and got into mess. So he got arrested, right? His son went to jail. He's in getting, you know, in receiving his punishment in other ways. We see pastors go bad. And some of them, that's what might have happened. And money can be that temptation. So there's a clear warning about money. And when Jesus, what we see in the text here, you know, money, and referring to what we learned last week, money is not about, it's not a position. It's in, in it's a trust. That's what we have. Our possession is what's been entrusted for us. We don't possess it. We don't own it. It only becomes a problem when we think that we own it. It's ours. And, you know, Jesus goes to the heart. Are you serving God? Or money. It's the heart issue. What are you after? And he goes to share the story of the parable. What's interesting is Jesus talks a lot about hell and threatens people with hell. But he doesn't threaten people with hell to those people like tax collectors, drunkards, other sinners. And I hope you get that picture. He doesn't threaten people who's drinking, who's clubbing, who's smoking, who's a pothead, you know, who's thief, who's a murderer. He doesn't threaten them with hell. Who does he threaten with hell? Religious people. Who say, who gives the lip service of religion, but does in something else. People who are not helping the poor. It says in Matthew 5, if you call your brother fool, those of you who has brother or sister, Jesus threatened you with hell that you're going to go to hell. Right? And that's interesting. We tend to threaten people who are clubbing, drinking, smoking, pothead, murderers, and, oh, you're going to go to hell. No, it's the people who are religious, who gives lip service, but doesn't do what they say they do. So who do we threaten with hell? Not certainly our friends. But I think you can definitely threaten people who are religious with hell. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus threatening them, warning them of what 
what's to come. So let me sum this all up, closing it up. Chapter 15 and 16 goes back to the first part of chapter 15, which Jesus says in verse 2, um, which the Pharisees uh, says in verse 2, it says, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus, and it says, so Jesus told them this story. So he tells a story, right? He tells a story of two parables about sheep and coin being found. Sheep and coin who has no power, is dumb, terrible, gets to found, gets to be found. But when it's found, there's a celebration in heaven. And he tells another story about the man with uh, two sons. And the one prodigal son who runs away and the son who stays on. But they're both lost. And the father is gracious. He tells the story of these two sons and the father. And look at the father. The prodigal son is lost and the other is lost too. And their repentance isn't perfect, but the father's grace is perfect. That God's grace is perfect when yours isn't. And he says... So let me tell you what's happening. You have been trusted with, as God's people, with things of God's position. But you have failed. You have squandered it away like this prodigal son. And you need to come and face what's about to come to you. You need to be smart about it. And you need to understand what God gives you is entrustment. It's you've been entrusted, not you possess it. Which means don't follow after what you received, which is wealth. He said, you need to serve God, love God, and not wealth. And here's what you look like. You are like this rich man. And the whole this time, he's talking to who? The Pharisees, who's challenged him with a question. You are like this rich man. And this rich man is just like the elder son, who had it all, who was home, who had it all, who received all the blessings, who would sit, receive everything, but would not accept the younger son, who is poor, who has sores, who is outside the door, who wants to come in, and they're ignoring And so you're like the rich man. And who gets to heaven? The one who comes to the arms of Jesus, arms of God. The younger son came back, not because he's perfect, not because he's done everything right, because he knew, he trusted the grace of God that my father might treat me better. I might be accepted in my father. That's all it took. And you, the rich man, the you Pharisees, are like the elder son, who just will not come in, who not trust the grace of God. So, you know, that's what the story is about. That's what Jesus is saying. And in overall, the question is, because he's talking about heaven and hell, well, what gets us into hell? And what gets us into heaven? I mean, we look at it when we follow through religion, and... You might say that, oh, these are, those are religious people, we don't believe it, we don't follow them. But in our hearts, we actually long for these religious rules and laws, because they're easier. Because that give us control. And religious people will say, you follow the laws, you look like holy, you look, look like you're holy, you look like you do right things, and then you'll be received into heaven. But what God says is, it's not about what you do. It's absolutely nothing about what you do. It's all about what I do. What I have given up for you, what I do for you, is what matters. And if you're able to receive into what I do for you, then that's all it takes for you to be received into heaven. And if you receive the grace of God, you change. And here are the three characteristics of man, person, who have received the mercy of God, grace of God. And number one is humility. 
And you look at any other man in the Bible who's faithful, any of the any of the faithful men in the history, they say, "There's nothing I've done. I need God more than anything." You look at Paul; he says, "I'm the chief sinner. I need God more than anything. I'm worried. I'll do all this work, end up not being right with God." Humility is the first posture of someone who's really truly received the mercy of God. That I need God. I need Jesus every day, every moment. And I'm the sinner of all, and I need the blood of Jesus. Humility. And that's what sort of younger son had. And Lazarus is kind of what younger son had, right? And secondly, thanksgiving. If you know what you have received, you live life of thanksgiving. And in thanksgiving, you give away. Because what you receive and entrust it, you give away. So the last character that you receive is faithfulness. You're faithful in little things. You live, prepare life. You're helping poor, you're helping needy because you believe everything you have is received and you're faithful, you're giving thanks. You don't complain, you don't whine, you don't criticize. You're humble, thankful, and faithful. So really the question is, as I wrap this up, is that in you? Have you received the grace and mercy of Jesus? And it's simply saying yes. Not about what you do, what God has done for you. And ultimately, if you receive into the mercy and grace of Jesus, then you become like the Father. And really the appearance of like the Father-like is loving. And really the story of Lazarus is, if you are truly loving God, then you would be loving people. That's why we say in Lifeline, it's all about loving God, loving people. Let me end it with the last verse. It says, Neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What's Jesus talking about? Himself. And we are in the season of Lent. I'm sure Joshua mentioned a couple of things that we, uh, about that and we'll pass the bread and the cup and around and we'll share that. We're receiving the season of Lent where we celebrate of God who came and rose again. And it says, not even if I raise from the dead, they're not going to believe. And did they believe? They did not. Did they believe when a person named Lazarus rose from the dead? They did not. It doesn't take miracles. It doesn't take supernatural stuff to bring people to faith. It takes, it takes God's mercy. It takes God's grace. And that's all it takes. And that's all we need to receive. Let me pray. And we'll take the bread in the cup. Jesus, help us confess that we are like the younger son. We are like the elder son. We hide behind religion. We hide behind our pride. And our hearts are not good enough. Our repentance is not good enough. But as we confess, help us to remember that your grace is enough. That your grace is perfect and you receive us no matter what and that's all we need to take and trust in help us to receive your grace to be formed in the image of the Father Jesus name this concludes our presentation for more information and other audio content please visit lifelightchurch.org